0: W.A.T.D. presents John Paul, the Car Doctor All things automotive Have questions? Call 781-837-4900 Now, here's John Paul, the Car Doctor
1: And good Sunday morning everyone And welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor program On 95.9 W.A.T.D. And uh, Jesse, welcome back from your vacation Thank you sir Hope you had a good time
2: it was good. Brockton is beautiful this time of year.
1: I I heard that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. As, especially the the uh, pictures you posted on Facebook of the ocean and uh, were uh, pretty impressive. I didn't think Brockton was that close to the ocean.
2: <laughs> I didn't think so either. Really. No, it, obviously we went to Greece, but the um, yeah. yeah, it was beautiful. Everything, every every beach we went to, we tried to
1: go to a different one every day. Everything looks like something out of a postcard. So it's a good trip. There you go. Hey, uh, you know, this is, I get a lot of questions from people, and they'll have problems with their cars, and their repair shops can fix it once they figure out what it is, but sometimes parts availability is a problem. So it could be a computer, it could be a dash unit, uh, might even be a radio, which radios aren't really radios anymore. They're sort of the head unit and the radio's another component that's tucked inside the car somewhere. Um, I scanned a car the other day for somebody, and there was, uh, I think it scanned 41 modules in the car. And each one of those can go bad. Each one of those sometimes is replaceable. Uh, But up until recently, not really repairable. Uh, But we have Ernest Martinuk from Upfix. And first off, uh, Ernest, how close did I come to the correct pronunciation of your last name?
3: that's pretty much spot on right there, there
1: He's yeah, got that, it right that, that was that was just that was just good luck i think but um you know yeah. what yeah first off tell us a little bit about uh upfix and um specifically the automotive side i know uh you guys do electronic right. component repair for everything from you know the digital display goes bad on a refrigerator to you know maybe a maybe a um you know, a stair climber or something. But tell us about the automotive right. side.
3: Uh, yeah, so with the automotive, UpFix has been around since 2006. Uh, and we fix, you know, electronic circuit boards for different year makes and models. Uh, it can be mechanical. Let's say stepper motors fail inside the instrument cluster where the speedometer freezes up and gets stuck and won't go up or down or uh, something electronical on a circuit board. Uh, it can be something that happened from human error or manufacturing defect. Uh, pretty much if you're if somebody's having an issue with it, they would call us or visit our website and then just pretty much see what we've fixed. If it coincides with what they're having issues with, uh, you know, customers can either mail it in or drop it off locally, and uh, we repair for them. We test it. Uh, we notify the customer and send it back on its way to them.
1: How about if someone's, uh, you know, let's use just your kind of basic, you know, Mm-hmm. What everybody considers the ECU, the computer for their car, somebody's right. like, well, you know what i've I've looked at everything, wiring looks good, sensors look good. We think it's this. Can they send you that component and can you test it to see if it looks like it's doing everything it needs to do or do do they need to be a little bit more specific that there isn't a um a reference signal or or something coming out of it?"
3: Right. So, first off, it definitely helps that somebody is, you know,
1: uh, mechanically or technically
3: inclined. Um, so that will help us troubleshoot the issues faster, uh, more quickly. But, you know, if it's something, let's say, depends what kind of codes there are. So, like you mentioned, there can be over 40 computer modules in a vehicle. Uh, what we would first see is, you know, find out what the issues are and uh, what codes somebody's getting on their obd 2 scan tool. And if it's something that coincides with something that we've fixed, we would say, have you checked this first or checked the wiring or mm-hmm. the 5-volt reference or 12-volt or, you know, wiring grounding or if you're having, a, you know, communication and did you check that can high, can low on the harness. And uh, once everybody's, you know, if, if somebody's already checked everything on their end, they will say, yeah, send in the computer module because the engine computer controls a lot of stuff in the vehicle and uh, it does fail.
1: This morning, I got an email from uh, somebody with a 2006 Mercedes C230. Uh, the first problem they had was the windshield washer and the radiator uh, both warned them that the fluids were low when, in fact, they were full, and in conjunction with that, the keyless start didn't want to start. Um, it, it wouldn't recognize it. They thought it was a dead battery, but and they replaced the battery, and... It did start, but then it didn't afterwards. So it wasn't the battery. And then, right. thirdly, I think it finally got to the point where it cranked. It wouldn't start. And then, when they got it towed home, it started back up again. And I did a little bit of research, and those three out of four of those things all run through the same module. Um, is are those the kind of modules that you know somebody can you know send to you and you can take a look at based on you know, what I just said?
3: Exactly, yeah. If um, it can be a manufacturing defect of, like, let's say Mercedes put it in a, you know, in an area where it's prone to moisture. Uh, right. If it's like, a, for example, BCM body control module that connects different computers to each other and, uh, you know, establishes communication between different devices and it's known to fail, then we basically get it in here, do a diagnostic. We have a full bench test simulator that can essentially see that it's in the car and we can test it to see if it's doing all its functions properly. And if we see something's not working, then we go inside and see what's going on in the circuit board level and also check the software because a lot of times it's not just circuit board manufacturing defects like, you know, blown capacitors or burnt trace line. It, it could also be the software itself that needs to be upgraded.
1: Yeah, I think uh, Mercedes calls it a SAM module, signal acquisition module is their f- fancy terminology. Right. But it's just it's just – Another module that runs through, like you said, runs through the CAN network and, or the CAN network runs through that. And, but, uh, but that would be one of those things that uh, in a repair shop, somebody might go, yeah, you know, based on everything I just looked at, everything seems to, all the connections seem to be good. Everything seems to be good. We think it's this bad module. So somebody could package that up and mail it down to you guys and you guys could check it out and see if there was something wrong with it. Exactly. Exactly.
3: Yeah, and a lot of times that's an opportunity for us to discover what vehicles are having issues like this. So, if more people are having issues with their, you know, SAM module in the, you know, Mercedes, then we'll say, okay, well, obviously, you know, there's more and more people having this issue. It's time to, you know, if it's something that we don't do repair yet, uh, and that's not necessarily that we advertise on the website, then I would basically say to send it in and see if we can do it, and then we start, you know, saying, hey, we can repair these modules because BMW does the same thing. They have something called the FEM front electronic module. And they're also just as prone to moisture and uh, corrosion as the fan module in the 80s. And it controls, you know, the mobilizer of the VIN number, and it talks to different computer modules. And if that gets affected, then your whole vehicle starts acting weird. So uh, it's very similar to that.
1: Yeah, um, you just got me thinking about, you know, some of the, you know, some of the security protocols are in in vehicles. And mm-hmm. and uh, you guys belong to like NASDAF and. You know the the ability to uh, you know get some of the some of the security coding out of it to be able to um, or whatever whatever the I guess fancy locksmith stuff is that people have.
3: Yeah, we have uh, pretty much manufacturing specific uh, diagnostic scan tools, and also you know servers subscriptions to like many large manufacturers of BMW, Mercedes, and uh, GM General Motors. Uh, And also we can clone the information of the security from, let's say, an instrument cluster or engine control unit and uh, see the features there, the software that it needs to start the vehicle and program another unit that the vehicle needs to start up. So let's say the instrument cluster um, went bad, but the uh, EIS electronic ignition switch, which is what Mercedes uses, um, is still good. We can take the VIN number or mobilizer and clone the replacement instrument cluster so it works and starts up the vehicle.
1: Can you also make? And this is a little bit, a little bit off track. But if someone mm-hmm. has lost all the keys to their car, can you? If somebody sent uh, so you, we, the...
3: we can we can program uh, uh, basically a brand new key. And it depends mm-hmm. which year, are making model. I would say uh, we don't, you know, say we fix every single or, or program every single new key. I would say, for the most part, uh, that would be a trade specialty fee for like local locksmith. But mm-hmm. uh, we can program keys and electronic ignition switches and, um, you know, computer modules that uh, affect the starting of a vehicle, for sure. Uh,
1: somebody wrote to me earlier in the week or late last week, and they had a, I think it was a 2000, i uh, making it up, 10 or 11, 12, Volvo right. XC90, and apparently um, the woman who drives a car listens to one radio station, and her husband doesn't, and he... And, as she put it, he was not very kind to the power button on the radio, and I guess it it broke or it quit working The button's still there, but the spring behind it doesn't doesn't work anymore and um you know and that's not even really a radio; that's just the controlled unit that connects to something else if If a shop pulled that out, can you guys disassemble that and figure out what broke inside of it and replace the little spring or whatever's in that switch that turns the power on enough?
3: absolutely yeah so we can basically repair you know mechanical aspects of it as well um that, that reminds me of a radio and climate control for a nissan pathfinder uh they're known to just have really brittle plastic inside and so the spring that pushes against that plastic eventually just the plastic breaks behind every button and we go in there and pretty much refurbish the plastic make it brand new uh make it pretty you know stronger than it was before and reassemble it and test the functionality and have the customers climate control radio back and working again so uh, it can be mechanical not just electronic or software
1: do you guys when you when you have to replace weird plastic pieces like that do you do you 3d print them or how, how do you how do you manufacture the pieces that probably aren't designed to be sold it
3: depends. Uh, ABS plastic from 3D printing is a possibility. We also have thousands of parts in our inventory warehouse from good units over the years of being in business for such a long time. We just see so many of these come in and having issues or this or that. If we've accumulated a ton of parts that we have. Basically, for anything one-off that's unusual, um, we can always do what we have in the back and see what's going on. And if we don't have it, then we can either get it or make it ourselves.
1: Do you with with popular units? Do you do you ever have? Um, do you ever just do exchange where somebody sends you a broken one and you immediately turn it around because you have one on the shelf and send it back, or do you re or do you check out and rebuild each individual unit that comes in?
3: Yeah, so we have exchange programs for select units. For example, a Toyota Rav Rav Four ECU, uh, Mazda Three and Mazda Five transmission computer modules, and General Motors instrument clusters. Uh, for select years. so uh, for example, if you have a transmission computer module that are just known to go bad uh, to manufacturing defect, it's not a matter of if but when um, basically on the if you know who is our website, you can just put in your vIN number uh, what the part number is, we program and flash and repair a refurbished unit ready to go, mail it out to you, and then you just send in your core. so you'll perfect. be on the road much faster
1: perfect um how did yeah. how did you how did you get into this? were you uh, were you were you one of those guys that like fixes cell phones in the mall and decided to go over to automotive? How how did you do this?
3: Uh, since I was young, I I was just disassembling you know those radios from the late eighties, early nineties with the turbo buttons and you know all large capacitors and uh, it was just fixing CRT cathode ray tube TVs and it's always been a hobby and interest of mine and then as the electronic age got a little bit more advanced and complex um i started noticing more people complaining about uh automotive electronics failing and that there was a current viable solution from let's say the dealership where they say it's on back order or it costs thousands of dollars or even if they have it it, it costs you know it'd be unobtainable something like they would say four five six months or if not uh certain vehicles you can't even get it anymore so th- that's when i you know kind of thought to myself well there has to be an opportunity where we can fix these, and sure enough, there was, a, you know, a lot of products out there for the automotive world that can be fixed, um, that can help customers get their vehicle back on the road.
1: Yeah, I, I I have to think it is just really a specialized trade. I, I you know somebody else emailed me this week that they have a a 2002 Saturn. So you know where do you get parts for that? They right. think it. They exactly. think it's. They think it's the ECU. The dealership where they brought it which i guess is a chevy dealership kind of went you know this thing's 22 years old just about you know we don't even yeah. you know it's it's older than half of our technicians that work here um <laughs> you know so right. so they're like oh, you know we can look at it i guess the shop was out in texas somewhere and they're actually having a the they i guess they have a like a uh a roving GM tech that's going to come out and look at it but you right. know one, one of the things they looked at is it, maybe it's an ECU and the um the dealership said good luck with that the, you know it, first off it's a Saturn so you you know it's going to be hard and unless that part is right. interchangeable with you know a Cavalier or something uh you're kind of out of luck and it sounds like exactly. your is your company is i mean if it was a bad ECU sounds like your company is exactly the kind of Company that they would be looking for, where they could send it out, have it looked at. You could check it out, figure out. Oh, and sometimes, sometimes is it obvious? Sometimes you just pull a board out and go, Oh yeah, this I can see. I can see the 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 circuit right here. That's either uh, a bad exactly. solder or you know lifted up across the board, or or I suppose sometimes. You know, and kind of the old-fashioned way that I used to look at stuff sometimes. It's like, right. oh, the, the ECU's, you know, tucked in the, you know, f- front footwell, and you bang on the side of it, and all of a sudden the car stops stops running or starts <laughs> to shake, and you go, well, there's right. got to be something wrong inside of it. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's a little more obvious, but other times it's, uh, it's hidden electronic, so you don't... You don't know unless you see a like you said, a capacitor that looks like it sort of is swollen or a resistor that's got a crack in it or, or something that uh visually so so I would I would guess when you go to take it take a uh an electronic box for want of a better word right. apart, you know, probably the yeah. first thing you do is give it a sniff, right? You know, does it does it smell like somebody let the smoke out of it?
3: Exactly. Yeah. I mean the first step is, you know, visually inspecting the board, uh seeing what's going on. You know, one of the first things we check for is worn-out relays and capacitors because those capacitors start leaking, uh, and then they start, you know, creating a foul odor on the circuit board right away. You can sometimes visually see what's going on in the board, um, and then we would bring out the multimeter and oscilloscope and, you know, other tools to test it. But, I mean, you know, it's not always like that, but there's quite often sometimes you can see the problem right away um, and then inspect it Other the other areas, too. Um, but, yeah, there's, like, instrument clusters, for example, like the Chevy Blazer from the early 90s, all digital. Uh, you know, good luck trying to find that even in the junkyard nowadays. Or, like, the Z31 all-digital instrument clusters that have a, you know, known failing power supply, you know, with just worn-out capacitors and, um, you know, some other leaking components and that have to be replaced. And, you know, those are the things that are pretty much not available anymore. But if, you know, if you have something like that and you want to refer it or send it to us, we'll repair it, no problem.
1: There you go. So it is true, everything everything electronic runs on smoke, and when you let the smoke out, it stops, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, everything has, you know, a, a, you know, a lifespan. So yeah. passengers have two to 5,000-hour lifespan, and once they go out, they start acting weird or intermittently or just have complete power loss and um, other, you know, circuit board components. And, you know, automotive manufacturers, sometimes they make one-off parts like uh, integrated circuit chips that only are made for that year-making model that can be difficult to obtain, but we have a wonderful team of research and development, uh, you know, staff that just sits there all day and just tries to reverse engineer everything, see what's going on, what we can do for that uh, one-off solution. So uh, there's always challenges that are pretty rewarding to figure out and see how we can fix some unit if it's mechanical, yeah. electronic, or even software programming.
1: Yeah, it sounds like you're the answer to a lot of people's you know, frustrations when it comes down to, you know, I can't get the part, I can't get the part, and, you know, and sometimes I hear this from consumers, their shop will say, I can't get it, and sometimes all it takes is a little bit more effort to try to find it, and it sounds like UpFix is the answer. The, your website is uh, pretty simple, UpFix.com, right?
3: Exactly, yeah, UpFix.com is the website. Uh, you can search by year, making, model, or there's a search bar at the top, and you'll see everything for that specific year, making model show up on the product results.
1: And if you're not sure, uh, there you can you can give you guys a call and say, hey, look, I'm looking for such and such, or you know, I didn't see it on the website, but it's this instrument cluster out of a you know Pontiac Fiero, uh, and I didn't see it there. But is it something you guys can look at? You'll kind of you'll kind of yay or nay with that too
3: yeah that's right we we try to help you know guide somebody over the phone get the full story what's going on what happened you know how did it go bad when did it go bad you know see if there's possibly something in the vehicle uh because there are some you know notoriously known culprits in the vehicle that can make it look like it's a computer module when it's actually something like a fuse or uh something in the wiring that is known for that you're making model but once we kind of ascertain hey all right this sounds like it could be something with that module or a unit instrument cluster we'll tell them to send it in and uh We'll do a diagnostic, a bench test, and just see what's going on. And uh, if it's repairable, we'll let somebody know right away. Uh,
1: I kind of wonder how many times when you sort of maybe talk to somebody on the phone or you email back and forth and you go, you know, uh, that's a pretty robust module. They don't usually have a lot of problems. Did you really do voltage drop? you know, from the battery to ground or battery to, you know, the the fuse box to make sure that there isn't some hidden corrosion that nobody saw. And they go, oh, yeah, I didn't think of that. And then they go and they clean up everything or, or you know, do a series of voltage drop tests and they come back and they go, wow, I'm glad I talked to you because you just saved me and the customer from, from spending money that wasn't going to fix something.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, I mean, I would get on, on a call with certain customers and just guide them out on the phone how to do it. Uh, If I'm certain or confident there's something in the vehicle that they can test um, so they can do it. Because, you know, we deal with different types of customers where it can be a shop, auto body shop, repair shop, a mechanic, or it's just somebody that uh, found us online and they're not, you know, mechanically or or electronically inclined. Uh, We help a broad spectrum of customers. Um, But, you know, it does help when, you know, somebody knows what they're doing on their end. But if not, we we try to make, you know, videos of showing instructions, how tos, how to use multimeter, how to troubleshoot. That way it can be easier for, you know, uh, reinstallation because uh, for the most part, it should be plug and play when you get it back in. And, the, uh, you know, we say that we found our issue with the unit, uh, but sometimes it's not so straightforward. And if it's not, then we try to help the customer any way we can to make sure it starts working.
1: Yeah, it's amazing sometimes how today's cars can be, you know, totally turned upside down because that two-and-a-half-year-old battery, just as, you know, everybody kind of looked at it and went, oh, that's a pretty new battery. We'll we'll, we'll just, we'll not look at that and come to find out the battery just isn't, isn't doesn't have the right capacity anymore, and that causes all kinds right. of electronic problems. So, you know, I, I, and I would guess that you'd start with a lot of people, you know, you got to start with the basics and make sure that, you know, the battery, the battery and all the connections are as, are as good as they can be, right?
3: Exactly, yeah. I mean, the battery can actually be quite deceptive. It it can be working, seemingly uh, look like it's working, but then make all the computer modules go crazy. And those computer modules don't like the voltage spike or the voltage dip. And they refuse to talk to one another. And then all of a sudden your vehicle's acting weird in a bunch of different ways. And um, that's you know especially exotic cars like like you know not gonna name any names but there's some vehicles out there where you know Lamborghini the just a little bit Lam- off yeah, exactly. Lamborg-
1: Lamborghini yeah. yep
3: yep yes <laughs> you are, you want
1: to through it so uh, yeah
3: exactly if it's if it's off just by a little bit I mean the vehicle could, might not even start um this is actually prevalent on the hurricanes especially but yeah.
1: Yeah, no, no, pretty amazing. So upfix.com is is how you you find out more information. And uh, Ernest, I want to thank you for joining us on the Car Doctor program this morning. And thanks for being a great resource. I'm sure that our listeners and the people who read my various newspaper columns, now all of a sudden I can direct them to places where they can get their components uh, repaired. And uh, the world's a little bit better place because of Upfix, I think.
3: It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
1: All right. Take care now and enjoy the rest All of your right, Sunday. You. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. You as well. Take care. Bye-bye. We need to take a break. Pay some bills. If you would like to join us, 781-837-4900 is the phone number, 781-837-4900. How you get through and talk to us about your car, your car problems, and maybe just any problem in general. Uh, we'll tell you about my problems when I come back. This is the Car Doctor Program. you are listening it ninety 95.9 WATD. We'll be right back. AAA
2: is with you at every moment in your life. They have 24 hours, 7 roadside assistance, which covers you in any car you're driving or riding in, even a rental or your friend's wheels. They have great member rates on home and auto insurance, savings on travel, hotels, and rental cars, and discounts on hundreds of your favorite brands. You're covered on and off the road. Learn more at aaa.com/Join.
3: Our school communities thrive when they address students, families, and educators' well-being. That's why the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education offers schools and districts the tools to meet these needs through our Office of Student and Family Supports. Caring for each other, growing together, back to school, better. Visit doe.mass.edu slash growingtogether. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education.
0: The 155th Marshfield Fair is more than just rides and carnival games. It's the best spot in town for live music this summer. Catch local favorites all throughout the fair. Acts like Tupelo Honey, the Burt Swart Band, Blame the Whiskey, Jake and Jenny, and the Jody Moore Band. It all culminates with the 29th Annual North River Blues Festival on Saturday and Sunday, August 26th and 27th. It's the 155th Marshfield Fair, August 18th through the 27th. For a schedule of events, visit MarshfieldFair.org. The Marshfield Fair, Route 3A, Marshfield. Hi, I'm Tara Thompson. And I'm Holly Flanagan. And you can hear us every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. on Breaking the Ice, Let's Talk Inclusion, presented by the Great Blizz Inclusive Hockey. Each week, we discuss topics important to our inclusive community and highlight the talents and achievements of our community members. So make sure to tune in Wednesday night at 8 p.m. to Breaking the Ice, Let's Talk Inclusion, presented by the Great Blizz Inclusive Hockey. Breaking the Ice, every Wednesday night at 8 p.m., right here on 95.9 WATD. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the car doctor on 95.9 W.A.T.D. Now
1: back to the car doctor. And welcome back to the car doctor program on 95.9 W.A.T.D. And next week, uh, which is the long weekend, we will be here live like we always are. But we'll also be giving away a AAA membership. So stay tuned for that. Uh, right now, I want to talk about kind of a I don't get to drive sporty cars very often. Um, probably because the car manufacturers don't need any help selling them. Uh, but the sporty car that I drove was a Toyota GR86. It's Toyota's answer to an affordable sports car. Uh, you know, think Supra, less affordable. Think GR86 is a little more affordable. The GR86 replaces the 86, wasn't that complicated? But it was developed jointly with Subaru. The Subaru version is called the BRZ. Both cars share the same driveline and have similar overall design. In fact, when you open up the door and look at the manufacturing plate, it says manufactured by Subaru. When you open up the hood, the engine cover says both Toyota and Subaru on it. Uh, but it is a uh, typical uh, Subaru flat four. Uh, in this case, it develops uh, 228 horsepower. Um, which uh, what's interesting about this car? It's a front-engine, rear-wheel drive. So it's kind of like what sports cars are supposed to be: engine in the front, drive wheels in the back, transmission somewhere in between. Uh, but the, so it's a traditional sports car. These days, you can get you can probably even get a minivan with more than 228 horsepower. But this car is fairly lightweight, so. Um, it's probably all the power you need. Our test car was equipped with something else I don't see very often, and that is a six-speed manual transmission. I don't remember the last time I had a road test in a car that was a standard transmission. Even even a lot of the press cars that show up, if there are uh, standard transmission cars available, they'll usually show up in a direct shift automatic, which is the other... Um, which is the other transmission choice in this. In fact, I was at a car show last weekend, I think, and it was a um, there was one on display because it was a, a uh, they must have been a sponsor, the local Toyota dealer must have been a sponsor of the show and they put one of they put a GR86 there. And the difference between that car and the one I was driving, and they were both identical, same colors, was that was a direct shift automatic as opposed to a real manual transmission. Um, what's kind of interesting about this car too is the exhaust. Uh, when you first start it up, it burbles a little bit. It's got a little bit of exhaust sound to it. It just makes all the right noises. Sports cars should make. Uh, it's not obnoxiously loud by any means, but it does. Uh, it does let you know it's a sports car when you're driving and accelerating through the gears. Uh, it's got just kind of the kind of the right sounds coming out of it. Uh, is it fast? Eh, it depends what you compare it to. Zero to 60, uh, from what I have read, takes about six seconds, certainly respectable. Um, and this is the case of one of these cars that in my opinion, and I don't want to call this a slow car because zero to 60 is fast. Um, but this is one of those cases where it is way more fun to drive this car, a slower car fast than it is to drive that Lamborghini Huracan slow. So this car, because of the balance, the weight to engine power just makes it fun to drive. Uh, steering's really precise, the suspension, you know, uh, I wrote minimal body roll, almost no body roll. This is, this, is, uh, this is a go-kart. This is one of these vehicles that feels like it's got Velcro that sticks it to the road. Um, this is one of those cars that, you know, you want to find the twisty two-lane road with some challenging curves because it makes it fun to drive. Toyota also added a track mode that disables the stability and traction control, uh, which allows uh, those braver than me to uh, drift the car into corners, First off, nothing I'm going to do. Secondly, nothing I'm going to do with a press car, certainly, because I like this car a lot, but not enough to buy it if I broke it. Uh, The GR86 has seatbelts for four, Um, although with the front seats pushed all the way back, there is zero rear seat legroom. I would think of the rear seat more as a package shelf. Uh, It's where you can put... Some bags, you know, if you go to the gym, you can put your gym bag back there. You can, you know, put some groceries back there if you want. As far as people, they got to be little people. Uh, Or maybe you can put somebody in the back seat if you push the passenger front seat all the way up. But certainly you're not going to put a six-foot person in this car with another six-foot person in the front seat. Just no room for that. Um, But in theory, it seats four in theory. Uh, the sporty seats provide uh, excellent support. Uh, some people, some people said, uh, and you know, after a long drive, they look like they might be uncomfortable because they are sort of limited padding, I guess, limited support, but supportive. I didn't find that case at all. I found, I found it pretty comfortable. Of course, I didn't drive it hours and hours and hours. Um, I did drive it. Uh, I think I did. I was I was in traffic for three hours I guess at one point, the I still found it pretty comfortable. Um, it sits very close to the ground, so eg- entry and exit can be a little bit of a challenge, I suppose. Uh, one of my neighbors came over and looked at it. And he said, "Oh, this is a pretty cool car, but it looks like it's hard to get in and out of." And once he once he got in it, he's like, "It's pretty roomy in here." I said, yeah, but it is, you know, because it sits very close to the ground. Uh, it is, a, you know, you need to be a little bit limber to get in and out of it. Uh, like all small cars, backing out of a parking space between two large SUVs can be a challenge. And I was thankful for the cross, uh, rear cross-traffic alert system. So this car has a lot of uh, electronic technology in it, safety technology in it. But cross-traffic alert is one of those things that it sends kind of a radar beam uh, down the lane. Uh, when you're backing out of a parking space, so it'll beep and let you know if somebody's coming the other way. This little small car that sits very close to the ground, uh, I was between a pickup truck and and a, I think it was a Cadillac Escalator on the other side, trying to back out of a parking space, and it's like, you try to back up, and then you're like, is anybody coming? I can't really tell yet. And uh, the thing beeped and tripped a couple of times, so I knew somebody was out there somewhere. Uh, when uh, all the noises were quiet, I kind of slowly backed out of the space. So I was thankful to have rear cross-traffic alert in this. Uh, controls are well thought out, simple, sort of minimalistic. One feature that needs to be improved, though, uh, although there is Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, it's a wired system, So, and I, I guess this sounds a little bit, Nitpicky, But it would be nice that you didn't have to have your phone plugged in. You have to plug in your phone to uh, one of the USB connector plugs to get uh, Apple CarPlay and Android Auto to work. Some newer cars now have wireless charging, which also uh, you can Bluetooth and have Apple CarPlay running, wireless charging your phone all at the same time. Uh, because if you're using, say, your phone for navigation, and it's nice to get it up on the display screen, but it will, you know, go through your battery pretty quickly with it, so the idea that, uh, you know, having it wired in is a little bit of an inconvenience, but not terrible, but it'd be nice if it was wireless. It would just be better. Uh, Fit and finish, a typical Toyota first rate, uh, and pretty impressive for a car of this price range. Trunk space is modest at best, but, you know, if you're going someplace for the weekend or doing a little bit of grocery shopping, it will work all fine. You're not going to Home Depot and Lowe's and bringing home lumber in this car. Uh, The GR86 offers a fun and engaging driving experience. Toyota found the perfect combination of performance and handling. Our test car had a list price of about $35,000, which certainly isn't cheap. but But for someone looking for a true sports car, with great handling, a striking style, and decent performance, the GR86 looks like a bargain. So if you were, you were somebody who said, you know, hey, I'm looking, I'm looking for something fun to drive, you know, maybe a Miata, maybe a Fiat, maybe, well, go look at this because I think you'll be impressed. Uh, nice, nice car to drive, fun car to drive. Fun car to drive if you're not driving with your foot to the floor, if you're just driving like you were commuting in traffic, it still is a fun car to drive. So good all the way around. So, uh, there we go. Um, our phone number again, this is 781-837-4900. Should you want to join us and, and find out what's going on? Uh, we'll try to help you with that. I mentioned something about some issues and it's kind of, it's kind of funny how it came up was, um, I, you know, bef- you know, Rob Hackler was on before us today and, um, he had, he had somebody on from an IT company. And what was interesting was, you know, one of the things he said was, you know, if you haven't done it already, lock down your credit uh, so nobody can take out a credit card in your name or, you know, a loan or something. Well, makes a lot of sense, I guess. Something I've never done till yesterday. I got an email yesterday, and I get a lot of, a lot of emails, a lot of readers and um it was from a company called netcredit.com. They're sort of an online bank. Uh they do um they do typically do smaller loans. And what was interesting was someone applied for a loan and but they had my email address. And it was my work email address, the J Paul at AAA Northeast dot com. And uh their uh, their loan was denied. uh, but the person appeared to be a real person. They were, um, they lived in Utah. I googled their name and found their name. And then I, uh, googled their address and it's a real house, but somehow it had my email. So I called netcredit.com. And first off, I want to see, is that a scam? Are they a real bank? And in fact, they are a real bank. Uh, they're part of They're part of another bank. And uh, so I called them and I said, you know, here's, here's what's going on. And you guys, either you've been hacked, this woman from Utah has been hacked, or I've been hacked. One of the three of us has been hacked because you sent out information to me with this person's name, address, credit rating, pretty much everything but her social security number and her phone number. Which I could find her phone number if I looked really hard. So they said, "Well, we'll you know we'll definitely look at this. We'll send it to our securities department." Um, I went to the police department and filed a police report, kind of a just in case kind of thing, and then came home and went to Experian and the other two credit reporting services and locked down. Our my credit record and my wife's credit record, so just in case nobody can nobody can take out a credit card in our name or anything like that. But neither can we now. so uh, which which I guess is fine. We don't need one, but uh, it was just one of those things that was like um uh, something I something I don't want to have to go through. And that was between going online to do all of that, signing up for a credit uh, a fraud alert thing, which. I signed up for because I had um, I had an issue with um, a bank thing that got that got hacked. And then uh, went to the police station, came back. It was like four hours out of my day just to, you know, hit myself in the head a couple of times to say, you know, this, this isn't the way I wanted to spend my Saturday morning. But maybe Rick from West Palm Beach can tell us how he's getting ready for the hurricane. Rick, are you in Florida now?
4: No, no. Oh. I'm uh hanging up in New York right now. unfortunately, okay. unfortunately. But uh yeah, thanks anyway. First, I got to thank you very much because when I DM you, uh 99% of the time you always get back to me. So, for those listening, uh I really appreciate that.
1: And the and the uh, one and the 1% um I probably just missed it. So, yeah.
4: There you go. Yeah. Uh, my 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 question is: I was listening to the other car doctor, which I didn't know you guys had the same name. The uh, guy, and, the guy, the guy from Jersey. Yeah, yeah, Ron. Yeah, I, yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, and uh, my question to you is this: I told you I I just bought a brand new twenty three uh, Honda hybrid Sport okay. for my wife. All right, and he was talking to someone about who had bought a truck, blah blah blah, and basically said. He recommends the first oil change should be in the first 2,500 miles. Not, Don't even wait 5,000 for the first one.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of people who say that. In fact, you know, way back when, you know, back in, back in the olden days, whenever that was, um, you know, they would say, you know, run a car for 500 miles, bring it in and change the oil to get any of the, you know, junk out of the engine for machining and assembly and all of that. Today's cars just sometimes the opposite can happen i know when i think it was maybe when saturn first came out people were changing the oil at a thousand miles and and um the engine didn't even really break in yet so like when you take an engine apart you look for this crosshatch wear inside the cylinders which is how the rings sort of seat inside the cylinders and you know people were changing the oil and switching over to synthetic and then the engines would burn oil afterwards because the, the cylinder walls didn't didn't wear in. Um, I'm sort of – I sort of lean more towards whatever the factory says because, uh, you know, if you follow the factory recommendation for time and miles, um, nobody can say you did anything wrong. So if you said, hey, look, it says every six months or every 5,000 miles, change the oil, and I waited till 4,900 miles to change for the first oil change – I did exactly what you told me to do, so it's all okay. Um, doing it early, you know, there still is, you know, still is that theory behind it that if you do it early and there is some junk in the oil, you know, you know, from assembly. But today's assembly methods are so good, um, I don't know if it's really necessary anymore. I can understand why people want to do it, but I don't know if it's really necessary anymore.
4: Well, his his feeling was you just spent. Uh, Fifty thousand dollars on a vehicle, and basically, like, why would you? Why would you not want to <laughs> a baby it, so to speak?
1: Um. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's, you know, that's,
4: that's,
1: yeah, I mean, certainly that you know is that is it going to hurt anything doing it? No, is it necessary? I don't know that it's really necessary to do it. Um, you know, I, I. <laughs> You know, I'm sure that, you know, they have, you know, I think he's about the same age as me. He might be a little, we're probably similar ages, probably grew up in the same kind of um, idea of, you know, this is how you do it and why you do it. And, you know, to say that, you know, change the oil early because you just spent $45,000 on a car and you want it to last a long time. Um, I don't know if you'd waited 5000 miles and change the oil if the car would last any less time than it did if you change the oil at 2500. So
4: just one other small thing if you wouldn't mind, JP, uh this 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 vehicle has the uh navigation that is necessary by using your cell phone. Yep. You know, the Yep. So my wife literally cannot get across the street without GPS. Okay. Now, when you're in areas where you have poor signal from your to your phone, how does that correlate with the GPS? Now that you should be, you know, using on your big screen now, so to speak.
1: You know, i I've used I've used uh, you know Android Auto or 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 Apple CarPlay a fair amount in areas where there is zero cell service and, right. um, and the GPS, the GPS still works. So I, I was in, I was in, uh, lost in Florida somewhere and there was zero cell service and I was using the GPS on my phone and it kept working. So I think between the GPS, um, it doesn't need much of a signal to work. And the other part of it is it uses kind of a combination of, Kind of dead reckoning where, um, for instance, if you drove, if you had a car with regular GPS in it and you drove through a tunnel, you know, well, you're not going to get any GPS signal, but yet, um, it's still going to show you on the route because it knows that you're moving. And as long as you don't, you know, deviate off of that route very much, it's still going to keep working. I've, I, I, you know, only once in a blue moon I've had, um, and this was with a, uh, a Garmin or a TomTom GPS. I think I was kind of under the George Washington Bridge, and there was no cell service, no GPS, because the bridge blocked everything. And it just showed it showed the little car on my screen spinning upside down. Um, but for the most part, I think, yeah, I think for the most part, you know, what's built into the phone uh, works as far as GPS works Pretty much when there's no, you know, no, no real cell phone signal. I mean, I, yeah. I've, 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 I, you got me real curious now. I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna put my phone on airplane mode and see if it still knows where I am. Because if no, I, cause it's I was on, actually yeah.
4: in a conversation with with a, with a, someone else, and we had that same question, like, well, how's it gonna work if you're not getting cell service? And then someone says. Oh well, you, you, then you have to uh, commit to uh, getting uh, Wi-Fi for the car. Um, <laughs> the chances, the chances are, um,
1: the chances are, if you have no cell phone signal, you have no Wi-Fi because they work off the
4: same network. I don't so, know. We'll yeah, see. We'll, we'll, we'll see when we get to that. Yeah, I got one more thing, and then you can cut me off. What are we going to do about this Florida auto insurance issue? What can we do?
1: Same, I guess the same thing about Florida, all kinds of insurance. I don't know if there's anything you can do. Because
4: um, I've i i you on it, and I'm just curious now. Yeah, I mean, any, I mean, I mean, light uh, at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, there.
1: yeah. I mean, I uh, the one car that we keep in Florida. I pay more to insure that one car for six months than I do to insure the two cars I keep up here.
4: So I've been told by you before. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay,
1: here I just, I just because, I, because it's available. I just Googled: Will a phone GPS work without service? And the answer is yes. GPS works because it's completely independent of any wi-fi or cellular data connection a gps is just a radio and receives the location data from satellites so its radio is separate from the wi-fi cellular or bluetooth audio so i guess that's why
4: Uh, when i get back to florida I'll let you know.
1: Yeah, and and I just I I now I'm, now I brought up a second article and and you know that's usually the one that disagrees with the first one. It says you can always use your GPS on a mobile device regardless of internet or cellular connection. As long as you have a charged smartphone with you, you can find your way around remote areas and foreign landscapes. GPS tracking on your phone works just like just as well without internet connectivity or cell service according to oxmaps.com, whoever they are. Uh, so there you go. There's the answer. So now your wife can cross the street. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Rick. Thank you, sir. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Our phone number is 781-837-4900, 781-837-4900. Why don't we take a break, uh pay some more bills, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about this scan tool that I've been trying out. We, we've been uh, we've been trying some – we have two different scan tools we're playing around with. So we'll try that. We'll talk about that when we get back. Again, our phone number is 781 837 You're listening to the Car Doctor program, not the one in New Jersey, the one that's over here uh, on 95.9 WATD. We'll be right back.
2: AAA is with you at every moment in your life. They have 24 hours, 7 roadside assistance, which covers you in any car you're driving or riding in, even a rental or your friend's wheels. They have great member rates on home and auto insurance, savings on travel, hotels and rental cars, and discounts on hundreds of your favorite brands. You're covered on and off the road. Learn more at AAA.com join.
0: The Make This the Summer Sales event is going on right now at Quirk Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram on Route 139 in Marchfield. Quirk Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram is one of the largest dealerships of its kind in New England, featuring an incredible inventory of brand new Jeep Wranglers, great customer service, and Quirk's Chrysler Certified Service Department. Quirk Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram is accessible from all across the South Shore, just off Route 3 at the new Exit 27.
4: Quirk works to save you money.
0: Quirk works for you. Visit QuirkChryslerDodgeJeepRam.com. Plan a getaway and enjoy a long weekend exploring Plymouth. Go outside and whale watch, hike, walk along the ocean, and dine outdoors. At night, enjoy live music, theater, art shows, and ice cream under the stars. Begin your Friday night at the corner of Court and North from 4 to 6 and listen to live music at Sea Plymouth's Fridays on Shirley Square. Then head into a weekend of relaxed fun. Plan your Plymouth getaway on the Sea Plymouth app, brought to you in part by VisitMA.com. Talk Radio with a South Shore point of view. Hi, I'm Kevin Chachi. Join me tomorrow for Monday Night Talk, where the South Shore comes to talk. Tomorrow night after the 6 o'clock news here on 95.9 WATD. Make an appointment Sunday morning at 11 for John Paul, the car doctor, on 95.9
1: WATD. Now, back to the car doctor. And welcome back to the Car Doctor program. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking scan tools again. And, and you know, we, we talked to, you know, the folks from UpFix. You know, we talked a little bit about scan tools there. Um, but, uh, you know, there's there's all kinds. There's There's code readers kind of things. There's Bluetooth ones you can plug in a... Thing into the OBD connector and then sync it to your phone. and You can read stuff on that. I've I I keep one of those in, in the, you know, in the back of my car just in case. Especially if I was you know using my car to go to Florida and a check engine light came on, I want to know what it is. So you know, I'll, I'll plug it in and see see what's going on. Um, the Innova one, uh, w- the newest one they have is the seven one one one, I think, and um, it's pretty. It's pretty nice because it's tablet-based. Um, it's also Bluetooth, which means that you can plug in the connector under the dash and actually walk away from the car with the tablet. So maybe you can do some checking around under the hood. Uh, it does have internet capability, but um, high couldn't get it to download like all data or Mitchell on demand or anything like that. So it'd be, and they probably did that on purpose. They probably have it locked down. So, um, maybe there is an app you can download to do that. I haven't, haven't done that yet. What is nice with the Innova one is it connects automatically to their repair solutions two um, platforms. So you can put in, you know, you can, you can run a car, scan a code, and then it will give you what it thinks is probably wrong with the car. So my neighbor has a um car that she's thinking of get, getting rid of and, and I happen to mention to her I said it doesn't sound like car car's running very well and she said yeah it's only running on you know five cylinders instead of six or something like that I don't know and you know the The oil change place broke off the dipstick, and I had the oil change, but I can't check the oil now, and it's a convertible. I said, you know, when was the last time you put the top down? I'm kind of afraid because, you know, it broke the last time. So I ran the quick scan with one scan tool, and it showed up that there was a misfire on cylinder number two, and it suggested there was a bad fuel injector which is entirely possible. I opened up the hood, and this car has had all of the ignition coils replaced. Uh, It's coil-on-plug ignition, which means there's an individual ignition coil for each spark plug. And they had all been replaced with, um, I think they were NAPA. That's how I knew they had been replaced. Um, So it probably wasn't that. The bad news is the cylinder that was misfiring is under the intake manifold. So you have to take the intake manifold off to get to what's going on to figure out what it is. Not a lot of fun, um, but then I tried this other scan tool, and one of our one of our listeners um, told told me they were looking for a scan tool to program a key. They have a Honda. The only key they have left that still works is the valet key, I guess. Uh, the push button keys quit working. The dealer wanted three hundred and fifty dollars to make a new fob, so pretty expensive, they bought this scan tool from a company called X-Tool, and they programmed two fobs that they bought online on eBay or something for like 40 bucks a piece, scanned them, programmed them, and everything works the way it's supposed to. So I said, I got to try one of these. So um, I got one and i plugged it into this woman's chrysler sebring it it scanned every single computer module in the car which was 43 it had seven fault codes for the convertible top it had about f- it had the the cylinder number 2 misfire random misfire had a variety of misfire codes for the engine it had a whole page of codes wrong with this thing. Um, uh, this X tools, this X tools, pretty good. Uh, the biggest problem with it is um, it doesn't. It it looks like it works on everything. Uh, I've tried it on a couple of new cars, and some of them it didn't work. It can't make keys for every vehicle uh, or key fobs. My neighbor has a BMW Mini Cooper. He only has one key fob. And I said, maybe this thing can make a key fob, uh, can clone a key fob. You need an additional $600 adapter that will read one of the fobs. That isn't the case on every one. It can do things like um, reset power windows. It can reset um, simple maintenance things, like maintenance lights, you know, it's time for an oil change, that kind of stuff. You can reset those things. Uh, So it it has a lot of capability. When you first look at it, it looks like it has capability for every single car in the world. But when you try to do specific things outside of, you know, code reading and scan data, uh, some of those extra features are only available in certain kinds of cars. So as an example, the older Volkswagen that we have here, I wanted to see about turning the, turning the fan on and off. I uh, wouldn't do it. I want to see about resetting the windows. Didn't have that capability. Couldn't do it. So um, on my car, for instance, on my Hyundai, uh, it looks like it certainly has the ability to program key fobs. Looks like that wouldn't be a problem. Looks like it has the ability to do what is cautiously called in the world, odometer correction. So you can reset the odometer. What happens is it resets the odometer, what you see, but in the computer it still has the original mileage. In fact, in my wife's Volkswagen, the digital speedometer is off about 600 miles for some reason. The actual mileage according to the computer and the actual mileage on the speedometer vary by about 600 miles. So, Email came in just a few minutes ago when it says... um, I read your column for years. Thought you might be able to solve a, whack, a vexing problem. The battery and in my 2000 Audi TT Quattro has been diagnosed by the dealer and certified mechanic is good. The problem is that the car will start about a few times before it needs a boost. Sometimes it won't start, but after a few minutes it will. A trickle charger was used and after being charged for several days it failed to start after about 10, time, 10 miles of driving and six starts. The charger goes back on within two minutes of the battery being fully charged and off. It's on and off for two minutes. I foolishly dumped over $3,000 into the car, which I've had since 1999 and would like to not worry about getting stranded. Even AAA road service could not get it going, so I bought a small lithium uh, charger, which I assume they mean a lithium jump pack, and it worked, but not all the time. Long-winded plea for help. Thanks in your advance for any insights that you may have. P.S. The battery is five years old. The car is outside, not driven for several months, and then trouble begins. Yeah, I think it's a bad battery. I think uh, a bad battery, even though everybody says the battery is good, um, what I would want to see is to take the battery cables off, clean up the battery, and test it, and then do a voltage drop test once the battery is 12.5 or 6 volts fully charged. Then do a voltage drop test across all the cables. I think you're going to find there's a connection issue somewhere in there, and that's what's causing the problem. Hey, that music means we got to go. I want to thank Ernest for, from UpFix for joining us today and helping us with that. I want to thank our buddy Jesse for uh, running the board and coming back from vacation. Thanks, Jesse, for coming back. Welcome. Uh, and until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt, drive safely, be good to your car, and if you see an emergency vehicle by the side of the road, slow down or move over. It saves lives. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.